1: Hello, so the Christmas period is over and we can all have a breather. Yes, after the onslaught of Vesta-Fitcher frolics, we're in an position where we're looking forward to a weekend without fantasy football and where we're now looking forward to the second leg of the season. I'm back for the final time before March and I'm joined by the Brian Kidd and David Moyes to alex and Nick and Stagg. How are you both, Nick? What's going on? I'm
2: good, thanks, Tom. All well here. It's going to be a challenge to pod without you, of course, but we're tough, lads. I think we'll be able to carry on. Just to say who we are, we are who got the assist, you can find us on Twitter at WGTA underscore FPL or at WGTA underscore Nick and stag at FPL stag and make sure to find us On iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify. So, Stag, yeah, what are we talking about on this week's pod? So, just to give everybody a rundown what we'll be covering
0: this week. So, with all these new bosses installed on the touchline at Arsenal, Everton, Watford, West Ham, and with the benefit of a little time to assess their impacts on their sides, we're going to consider the new manager bounce in FPL and specific to each of those teams. With that in mind then, with Game Week 22 on the way and Double Game Week 24 just around the corner and the chatter about it continuing to grow, especially after West Ham's stonking win over Bournemouth in Game Week 21, we're going to have to give our take on that whole debate. And we'll also have the usual features and answer some listeners' questions.
2: Yeah, that sounds great. So let's start with those Game Week reviews. Tom, as the guest on this pod, would you like to go first, perhaps?
1: Oh, this is very exciting being a guest on my own podcast. It's excellent. And uh, Anthony's uh, this entire podcast that you'll hear will be heavily edited because I'll be swearing, doing the Nick, and I'll be making lots of outlandish references to, you know, Brexit, the Tories and stuff. But in reality, I suppose I just got on with my game week. It was an interesting one. So in the extenuating circumstances, it wasn't management. I promise. I took a minus 12 to basically set my team up for the time I'm away. The idea is that I'm going to revert to a mostly ghost management structure, which is basically that I'm probably not going to touch my team as much as I possibly can, but I'm guessing that actually means that I'll be looking at my team more than ever because I have more time on the road, more time travelling. Uh, Pope went for Fabianski, finally saw the end of Nick Pope. Aurier, the walking liability, left and TAA came in. To afford that, I had to do a couple of little moves here and there. So Grealish went out for Traore, but I didn't go particularly well. And Abraham went out for Mopé. Mopé missed a big chance right at the very end to win it. And obviously, uh, Tammy got an FPL assist. So it meant that, yeah, I, I on the hit itself, I lost out. I ended up 58 points. Uh, minus 12, that got me 46 uh, as net, which isn't too bad. Uh, the likes of Fabianski, Mane, TAA and Soyuncu, a random eight, uh, did very well for me. And the vice captain went to Mo Salah, who got one goal in the first five minutes and proceeded to do not very much else throughout the game in FPL returns terms. But... There was a little dink uh, randomly over the top where time stood still that almost went in there was quite a few kind of decent shots but uh, a shot saved by hendo could have been a lot more and my my hit you know could have really been paid if a couple of things went my way for example that mo page chance i mentioned or a couple of adama assists were working out so yeah 58 not great i only lost 100k places though down to 569k and my team is pretty well set basically for the next three or four weeks all the way up to double game week effectively so yeah win time you lose some I think the minus 12 was good basically because I haven't used my wild card. My team is looking pretty nice. What about you guys?
2: Yep. So for me, I got 56 points, which is pretty much a grey arrow. I think I ended up just going up 2K places in total. It started off pretty well for me this game week, and with, with the aforementioned track readers getting those 13 points. Did really well. That you know had a really good game. You know, could have even got more if that other goal hadn't been disallowed. And Madison getting me an eleven pointer as well. Those were the two key guys for me in this particular game week. Soyuntu as well picking up. A clean sheet for eight points and Mane getting eight points but yeah with Vazie not playing Rashford was my vice captain unfortunately which meant he only got two points times two four points and not not having uh, Mo Salah made that Liverpool game and the early goal particularly scary because I I could see myself losing that green arrow pretty rapidly if he got a massive haul turned out okay-ish I guess right on the uh, the average for the top 10k that 56 pointer so yeah, still around sort of the 185k mark, a little bit of a red arrow from Christmas, but not too bad.
0: Yeah, unfortunately, it was another case of disappointment for me. I had a 48 points and a game week rank of 3.7 million. So there was definitely contrasting fortunes between the real life David Moyes and maybe the who got the assist David Moyes, unfortunately. I burnt two of my free transfers to change Dinier to... Trent Alexander-Arnold to rectify that massive mistake and then I also jumped on the form of Triore in favour of Pulisic. I guess Trent did pay off to some extent whereas Triore didn't. I had no Vardy unfortunately so like Nick my vice-captain was Marcus Rashford however it was intentionally so but it was still the same result, disappointment. So Todd Cantwell, who had 10 points, who I did actually start, thankfully, and Mane's eight points and Soyuncu's eight points, as well as Trent Alexander's clean sheet, was pretty much all I had this week. So really my big the big difference for me is that I just haven't got enough Liverpool cover, I need a third Liverpool player, be that a defender or be that an attacker and so with just one free transfer in the can going forward I'm looking at a full reconstruction project, massive hits maybe like Tom did or perhaps even wildcarding early and then just really getting into FPL manager mode to manage the double game weeks and blanks as they come later in the season, we shall
1: see. Yeah certainly I think definitely merits to, to that wildcard idea we'll talk about that in the questions and talk about Liverpool kind of conundrum as well later on but for now I think we're going to look at the, the main kind of topic of this week which is the new manager bounces and I think that's a nice way a nice lens through which to look at the last few weeks and focus on a few areas where there could be some opportunities for managers just because these some teams who have been completely written off like likes of Arsenal Everton Watford and West Ham that under the new bosses could well now be on the radar especially with a double game with West Ham too I'll do this by kind of talking about a little bit by talking a little bit about the team improvements you know their key assets and the fixtures as well just to assess well is it worth jumping on these guys I guess to start off historically there are quite a few kind of examples both in recent history and in further back I suppose you know Ole and Solskjaer last year when he came in obviously reinvigorated the man nice assets suddenly Rashford and Pogba were the go-to men and I also remember in the past the likes of Chelsea when they had their new manager every single season at the end of the season they always won 5 or 6 nil on day one didn't they? remember Scolari I think beat Sunderland Southampton 5 or 6 nil on the first day but last year Rogers is another great example of this as well Jamie Vardy a player who was reinvigorated and brought back from the brink of obsolescence through uh, Rogers coming in on our Tasman Theory for example we reported that he scored a 48% increase in his non-appearance points between March and the end of the season as Rogers' new approach i.e. just poached Jamie came into play what do you guys record and what do you guys remember from historic new manager bounces and how they've impacted your FPL
0: so I guess Tom what I've done is I've actually looked back at new manager bounces from an FPL point of view and in doing so I've basically looked at a 2018 article by Peter Blake who is a active member of the FPL community you'll find him at mathsafefpl that's with one s in there and what Peter did in his study was that he found that the new manager bounce does indeed affect FPL. In a study that focused on the averaged FPL points per player, and he did indeed focus specifically on where there was mid-season managerial changes too, which is directly relevant to all of the cases that we're studying here. What Peter found was that it was defenders that profited the most from the managerial change and the new manager bounce. I guess it's obviously a lot of these teams were struggling. Different managers have come in, think Big Sam type thing, who have shored up defenses and sure enough, clean sheets have started to come faster than they had been previously goalkeepers and forwards as results fluctuated wildly but there was a general trend positive direction for both of them as well i guess goalkeepers benefiting from the clean sheets whilst forwards you know getting on the goals as form turned for the most part midfielders were affected less by the bounce and i think that makes sense because this is being taken in a general sense across the board only one player or two players given there's an assist to can be credited for an attacking score so in general the average for four or five midfielders in a given game week won't be affected too much and they get little from clean sheets as well so it isn't too surprising that midfielders in a general sense gain very little from the new manager bounce but maybe specific assets still are affected no more than a forward would be so there is definitely a lot to consider when it comes to the new manager bounce and fpl
2: yeah, for sure. I think that's that's some really um interesting analysis there from Peter in that particular article. I think, yeah, obviously some really good cases raised there by Tom as well, the likes sort of Brendan Rogers, who arguably still still experiencing that new manager bounce. Those Leicester players have, have been absolutely brilliant since he's come to the helm, and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, who had a slightly differing experience. If we move on, perhaps to talk about the teams and their new managers that have come in, I think we're going to start off with. Arsenal, aren't we? And obviously Mikel Arteta. It's not necessarily been a fantastic beginning for him as the new Arsenal manager. But after that Manchester United game, it it certainly looks very positive for Arsenal in terms of that performance, where they just absolutely... I think it's probably their best performance of the season. We saw a few players like some Nicholas Pepe, for instance, look absolutely fantastic putting in his, his best performance so I think to be started to look at these Arsenal players I think actually can we consider them for our FPL teams especially considering looking at Arsenal's next five it's pretty damn reasonable they've got Crystal Palace, Sheffield United, Chelsea, Burnley and Newcastle up next so Tom as our resident Arsenal fan I know you're a big fan of Arteta and you're quietly confident perhaps that things might change around at Arsenal who have been pretty diabolical for the last year and a half.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, Emery was sacked on the 29th of November. We had a little while with the Lundberg supply teacher, but I think we kind of then moved to the world class setting and got Arteta in, basically. I took his first game on Boxing Day. First two games under Arteta, seen us sit up in a 4 4 2 defensively, but a city esque 2 3 5 going forward. Michael Cox also pointed this out in an article in The Athletic. Also, on that pet point, I noticed this weekend that David Louise and even Socrates were charged with bringing the ball out to open up passing avenues from the back, which is obviously another petism. Let's have a look at how much there's been a bounce. Obviously, it's a very small sample size. I compared Arteta's previous two games versus a sample of Emery's final game, so it's 10 to 13 this season, on an average game basis. Um, and I found the following. So under Arteta, we took more shots in the box and we've had more frequent big chances but in line with what Anthony was saying earlier in terms of uh, Peter's article defensively there's been a huge improvement so far we formerly had a goal attempt conceded every 18.5 minutes it's at 11.5 under Arteta we've almost halved the time that big chances conceded it used to be once every 38.5 minutes and it's now 64.3 there's two big factors here one is Torreira unsurprisingly if you play a defensive midfielder in the defensive midfield position you have someone finally who breaks up attacks for some reason Emery wants him to be a box-to-box playmaker very bizarre but the second one's a bit more surprising. In the last game, Mesa Ozil got 10 ball recoveries. Not really sure what's going on there. But that has led to a few kind of pieces of interest in the Arsenal defence. Leno, obviously, uh, got a double digit return, I think, this weekend, got a two, two bonus. Nick Smirking, because obviously there can be no interest in Leno whatsoever. <laughs> the man who made the most errors to goal last season with six the year before, the man leading the errors to goal tally was the Arsenal goalkeeper, Peter check, So not buying it. Kalasanach in defence, very, very advanced. Bellerim. But Aubameyang, lacquer and Pepe, as Nick just mentioned, Pepe looks like one to watch. Last season, he had an open play XGI of 23.9 for Lille. Not suggesting he's going to get that, but if he did get that, that would put him in the top five for XGI last season amongst mids. And Aubameyang's also staying. So it could be. I'm not sure that I'd ever want to back Arsenal <laughs> at the moment, but it could be. that, as Nick said, when those fixtures do clear up, because I mean, from, from 22 all the way until, well, all the way until the end of the season, it's just Chelsea in 24, Man City in 28, and then 35 and 36, uh, which are difficult games. The rest are eminently winnable. And you'd be expecting Arteta, I guess, to, to kick off his career with a, with a decent run of results now that he's got the initial kind of loss out of the way. What do you guys think to the FPL relevance of that?
2: I think you've made some really good points there, Tom. I think obviously from, from an Arsenal perspective in FPL, we've not really owned them all season. And it's not just because of their performances, but it's also priced as quite a significant factor in terms of Looking at the, the Arsenal players, obviously the defence, they've barely kept any clean sheets all season. But Kolasinac was one that I did notice in that Manchester United game, looking very attacking, getting lots of opportunities. And he nearly picked up an assist for that for that Pepe goal, didn't he? So I think he's certainly one to what he started his first game. He didn't play the other two games, but in the 68-minute cameo performance, he, he I think he's certainly one that we, we do need to... to so sort of keep our eye on, perhaps not looking at him at the moment because that's sort of 5.2 million and he's more expensive than like Soy and Soon and some of these other defenders that have been performing a lot better than than himself. But um, up front, Aubameyang certainly needs to be talked about. He's actually snuck into the the market forces this, this game week. And it's because he's um, actually now the fourth highest scorer in FPL. He's really sort of floated under the radar a little bit with only an 18.8% ownership at this particular moment in time. But a few managers looking at him now with the likes of Kane being injured, with Vardy um, also having a yellow flag has meant that some of the managers have started to think, actually, Aubameyang... You know, he looks like a pretty decent player, and obviously he's he's got thirteen goals. He shared the Golden Boot last season as well with Mane and and Salah, and I think he, he's certainly one that needs to be on our radar. But like I said, the price is slightly offputting when it, when it comes to the Arsenal assets at ten point eight million for Bamiyang, He's he's another very expensive forward. You know, he's more expensive than the likes of the likes of Vardy, the likes of Rashford, Abraham, and Jimenez, who have been in our front lines over the course of the season.
0: What I found interesting about watching that Arsenal team versus Manchester United was the structure and energy that they brought into their play. They were playing in this 4-2-3-1, but they had so much speed and conviction behind their passes and how they played, none more so by... Nicola Pepe, who is priced at 9.1 million, but who did absolutely brilliantly. He only scored one goal, but he could so easily have created a goal. He could quite easily have scored another as well, most memorably after Dav de Gea's port clearance left him with this beautifully executed curler, which ended up hitting the post. He's definitely right on my radar, as is Mesut Ozil. You noted his recoveries. He also covered more distance than any other Arsenal player at the weekend, which is just interesting when you talk about energy being brought into Arsenal's play. If you can see energy being brought into someone like Mesut Ozil's play, it's quite interesting to ponder what could come from him as time goes on. His defense splitting plas- passes have always been there, even when he's been out of form. So it'd be quite interesting to see how he could develop over the next few weeks as well. You guys are even saying that looking at the fixtures, you're kind of almost postponing the idea of bringing in an Arsenal player until maybe post-game week 24, let's say. I don't think there's anything to fear with bringing them in right now. Like maybe one, it's a great place to punt. And for someone like me, who's maybe considering a wild card as it stands right now, someone like Nicola Pepe or pierre and Bamiang, as you note as well, who has low ownership, could be particularly brilliant assets to have on your side as they seem to be turning that ship around. There's also a huge similarity to their play to maybe how Manchester City played. You could see they were trying to get to the byline to cut back every so often. That was definitely a factor of their play that you de- didn't see so much under Emery that seemed to be showing under Arteta already. And I'd be wondering where that can go with the weeks as they pass.
1: The issue is the price, as Nick was mentioning. So, a lot of the time, you know, 10.8 million for Obamiang versus nine for Rashford, 6.7 for this season's hero, Danny Ings, none of us own. In defense, uh, David Louise, I mean, you can be really pressing confirm on David Louise. I may be made to beat those words. Actually, I won't, so I won't be here. But 5.7 million, David Louise, are you going to really be paying that when you can pay. I don't know, uh, $5 million for the likes of George Baldock? Hmm. I don't know. It's a bit of a strange situation when we're saying that Sheffield United assets and Southampton assets are more preferable to Arsenal assets. And I think there's definitely, as you say, an opportunity to lean into that. Uh, the man who knows when to press triangle to do the through ball, mess at Ozil as well, is the guy who could be of great interest to in many people, obviously completely shunned by the majority of the community, but just 7.2 there of real interest. Yeah, there's obviously opportunity in the fact that they've been... They've been priced a little bit higher than we want them to be. They're a bit more awkward to get in, which could mean that if you are wildcarding or you are doing some surgery, you could uh, definitely get some, some sort of return there.
0: Yeah, like the ultimate players to bring in if you're doing that surgery, really, I think are Nicola Pepe and Mesut Ozil. They don't interrupt your forward budget let's say where it's pretty obvious where you're going to fill at least two of those slots based on form anyway with the likes of Ings and Jamie Vardy whereas at midfield I think there's an awful lot of people who've had that space for say one of the Spurs midfielders it was Son it probably became Ali and now it's probably going to become somebody else and so even for people who aren't going on a wild card Pepe or even Ozil are accessible
2: Yeah, definitely. I think there's obviously a lot of interest here in some of these Arsenal players. I think personally from my own FPL team, I'm probably too risk averse to to take a gamble on one of them at this particular moment in time. But I think we definitely need to keep our eye on them. And if they can continue this, this new vein of form after that United game, then... They will start to appear more heavily on our radar, but shall we move on now to Everton, another team that done pretty well since their new manager has come in, Carlo Ancelotti. Obviously, they lost against Manchester City, which was always going to be a tough game, but previous to that, they had decent victories against the likes of Newcastle and Burnley. And I think having someone like Ancelotti in, sort of three times Champions League winner as a manager, is always going to bring on you know a positivity around the camp. Looking at sort of the last few game weeks of Marco Silver,ain was. Sorely lacking, and you know, you can see it in, in some of the output. I know, Tom, you've got a lot to say about Everton, so would you like to begin?
1: Yeah, so I mean, as you mentioned, there's definitely been a galvanizing effect. I think that's probably true of uh, Arteta at Arsenal as well. As Stagg said, to the eye, you can see there's a bit of a difference or zip, a bit more pizzazz about the players. Uh, but Marcus the sacking, Duncan Ferguson's uh, caretaker role, and Ancelotti uh, being in charge of Boxing Day. Uh, a bit of an odd appointment, that actually, uh, just a side note. It's a bit of a kind of Bielsa esque, I'm doing. Whatever the hell I want on my football manager save. I always saw Ancelotti as being more of a keep the good times rolling sort of guy rather than a scrapper, but. He's doing all right. I mean, I looked at the same comparison um, as did for Arsenal, compared kind of 10 to 13 for Marco Silva and the, the last couple for Ancelotti. And what's really clear is that the minutes per XG have really increased a lot. Um, they were, it was one XG per 81 minutes under Marco Silva, uh, one XG uh, just 45 minutes uh, under Ancelotti. So the chance creation is going upwards. But we've long said that Everton actually had a quite a tight defence and they were long top the charts for the lowest pre-chance creator, for example. Uh, but I think the big FPL impact that we've seen is that a combination of Ancelotti and Ferguson has lit DCL, that Dominic Calvert-Lewin, who's now in the in the conversation at 5.8 million. Over the last six, his data was absolutely ridiculous. Second for goal attempts, second for shots in the box, and second for shots on target two with 10, just one less than Jesus and Rashford. Uh, he's also converting a lot though, uh, 28.6% conversion rate at the moment. But at 5.8 million, I, I regret buying MoPay looking at those numbers. So I guess, yeah, but you know, you've got lights like for you've got Sidibe, who uh, I think was on or I don't know whether he got it but I think he was on two bonus at one point despite losing 2-1 away uh, which is pretty damn good isn't it really so guys Everton then they've got a decent run coming up and I think that he could definitely be the sort of team that would be better priced I suppose to be buying in even if you aren't you don't need to do surgery to buy the sort of, the toffees in do you
2: yeah, I mean, Dominic Calvert-Lewin is actually a player that I'm actually probably going to be bringing in either this game week or the following game week. £5.8 million, he acts as a really good enabler in that front line and and it gives me extra money to afford sort of like a, a Liverpool double or potentially a midfield of Salah and Mane. So he, he is a player that is heavily on my radar. And like you said, yeah, his underlying stats are, are fantastic in the last few game weeks. He, he's now got eight goals for the season. That's his best ever in the Premier League and certainly looks like a man that is invigorated under the, the new manager who's definitely yeah, showing some very prolific output. I think Sidibe and the other one yeah, that you mentioned there, I think he's another player that looks pretty good. I think um, since Ancelotti's taken over, he's played a few different formations and is still up in the air in terms of what what is his best formation or what what is the plan is there. I think I mentioned on the last pod that I was worried about rotation risk there with Coleman. But in the last game, he played yet another formation and he had Sidibe as a wing-back and Coleman as part of a, a back three, which was a, quite interesting to, to see. So it will be interesting to see if he, um, he settles on that formation or if he continues to see a little bit of rotation there. So there's obviously a bit of a threat there. But I think in terms of the defenders... He looks like the one um, with the most attacking out threat. I think he also played out of position as an attacking right winger as well in, in one of the games. So I think it was the game against Burnley where he picked up that assist. So definitely, definitely one to watch there. The other one I think I mentioned in the last pod as well was Mason Holgate. I think just in terms of his price... £4.4 million. I think he slots in quite nicely. As a sort of fourth or fifth defender, I think he's better value for your teams compared to, you know, the likes of Martin Kelly. And there I mentioned Diego Rico as well, around that same price now. So um, Holgate, he's played every game since game week 10. So he looks like he's nailed on in that Everton team now and another young player that possibly will thrive under the new manager. Stag, what do you think about the Everton assets? Um, I mentioned Richarlison as well, as another one perhaps worth considering.
0: Yeah, so going from back to front, I think the back three with Sidibe playing as a right wing back is probably what you're going to see going forward. I think... What Ancelotti is trying to do is he's actually trying to find a way to accommodate, I guess, his best defenders whilst also trying to link up that attack. And that's why he's found a way to get Seamus Coleman into the team whilst also getting Sidibe on the team. And from a Republic of Ireland point of view, it's brilliant to find a way that we'll be able to get Matt Doherty and Seamus Coleman on the pitch at the same time. He's showing the way to our manager mick mccarthy for the future but then looking forward in that team Richardson is one player who i think would i would term a trap in this side you know even in the last five game weeks he's only had nine shots five of those have come in the box he hasn't really been all that central to anything that that side have been doing he's had less xg than connor wickham for example he's played 45 minutes in that time he's had 1.15 by the way so it's He's not particularly well suited to it. Up front, though, it is DCL who, as you've outlined, is really hitting the high numbers in terms of stats. He's right up there in the top 10 in terms of the likes of Shots in the Box, XG, et cetera, over the last four or five game weeks. And that's very promising, especially given his price point.
1: Yeah, and the, I guess what's really good as well about them is that they've got a kind-looking next five, Brighton, West Ham, Newcastle, Watford and Crystal Palace, before they run into another four-way of very, very poor fixtures, Arsenal, Man United, Chelsea and Liverpool. But over those next five, there can definitely be some profit, especially for DCL. I think DCL is a very nice sort of a way for people to pivot towards the uh, the double uh, Liverpool midfield, for example. You know, replacing a Rashford with D- Dominic Calvert-Lewins, you've got all that money to turn your alley or turn your... Uh, I don't know, into a um So I think he could definitely get onto the radar, couldn't he? We've sold FBL here, haven't we?
2: Yeah, it seems yeah. like we've sorted out the ultimate team for everyone.
1: <laughs> yeah, basically by Calvert Lewin. But yeah, it's, it's very interesting to see that um, he's become a player who uh, has discovered that sort of instinct, that knack for scoring goals. Before, I think we were looking at him and thinking he was, uh, there were shades of a Dom Solanke about him and that he was an assister rather than a goal scorer, a Giroud, a non goal scoring forward. Uh, whereas now, it looks like he's right at the sharp end. And when Ancelotti's a pragmatist, doesn't really have a favoured formation, so to speak. He just does whatever he's told, effectively. Uh, on Richarlison, 8.0, I can see why, again, he would be on the same sort of level as Pepe for me, but like he's, he's, I'm not sure he's quite a trap am thing. I think he's still a player who has a proven pedigree of doing stuff, maybe not so much in the second half of the season, uh, granted. Um, but under Ancelotti, I think he, he has looked pretty promising. I think he's four fresh giant amongst the fields over the last two. Obviously, it's a very small sample size, but it's like he's still doing stuff. <laughs> it's just whether it's the case of whether you want to part with your 8 million on that. But the next five fixes are good enough to maybe have a look at them. The one I'm really interested in is Sidibe and uh, and Holgate. Uh, 4.4 for Holgate, I think, is looking at really, really good value and I think it'd be a really, really good replacement for uh, young Martin Kelly, whose time is becoming increasingly nigh.
0: What I would say about Richardson is that his XGI is being completely skewed by, I guess, the goal that he scored at the weekend. Yeah, it was a oh, Danny Ings goal, wasn't it? You know, exactly, and I think that that's definitely <laughs> skewing his numbers, especially considering that it's such a small sample size. If he was a 6 million rated midfielder or a 5 million rated midfielder, then we wouldn't be interested in him. The fact of the matter is that I'm sure Mark Noble probably has a higher XGI than him over the last two game weeks, and he only played one of them. And I don't think we'd be all that interested in him at all. So I think I think I'll stick with. There is definitely an element of a trap to Richardson. <laughs> it's just it is definitely reputation that's carrying him through. He's not central to that team at all in terms of how it's attacking. They're often playing with two attackers and having DCL and Mazaken up front. There, just not interested at all that no, certainly makes sense
1: i like i like how you say element of a trap rather than calling him a trap outright that's very very good you're learning from me plausible deniability if someone says <laughs> you said it was a trap you could just like no i said it's an element of a trap uh, so i left the door open that's what we need to do in this particular uh, within this particular area uh speaking of traps so uh, watford uh, paul Pryor asked can we expect watford's bounce to continue uh so I forget I think it was Kike San- Sanchez-Flores who was sacked on the 1st of December again and Nigel Pearson a British manager a proper British manager British jobs for British managers uh, came in on the 6th for December so I compare the last 4 again to my favourite to 10-13 and noticed a couple of key things again one they doubled the rate of big chances created Ducori in the number 10 slot appears to have had a bit of an impact there they've gone from 0.5 big chances created per match to 1.2 under Pearson the minutes per big chance created therefore has had a big increase under QSF they created one every seven six minutes under Pearson it's one every 43 one guy I think who I'm particularly interested in is uh, Ismaila is Sarr, 6.2 he's fifth for XG amongst the fields over the last six games he's very very low owned for one of those players who could really if he does get you know an eight or a ten really be one of those players who could push you up the table help you climb especially because he's relatively inexpensive. In defence as well, there's lots of cheap options, like the Cathcart, for many a 4.2, although he he was injured in the last game. And up top, you've got the uh, Delefeu, who's now been played as a forward once more. So yeah, a few options here too. Nick, what do you reckon to uh, to Watford? Are you looking to get any Hornets in your team? Are you worried about being stung?
2: Um, so yeah, I mean, when Nigel Pearson took over the helm, I, I wasn't kind of like overly enthusiastic about the appointment. I thought, oh, well, it's going to be another you know season of struggle for Watford all, all into the end of Proper relegation dogfight, and it might still be a relegation dogfight for them, but they've certainly um, improved their performances under them. And you know, those those gutsy performances against the likes of Aston Villa and Wolves it has made me to actually think, Oh, should, could I consider what for playing my team? And you know, um, sort of some of the feedback from some of the players has been very positive since uh, Nigel Pearson has, has come to the helm. For instance, Ben Foster basically said, We just needed someone to stick a rocket up us, and that, that's all it is, simple as that. And uh, Ducore has also um, said that just establishing the basics has helped. Helped him and others rediscover their talents so um, yeah it seems like Nigel Pearson's back to basics philosophy has improved things a little bit at Watford I mean in terms of the assets realistically I think you mentioned Cathcart perhaps as an example of a a cheaper defender that's available I think if, if Looking at goalkeepers, perhaps you should look at Ben Foster as well, maybe. I know we've all sort of been sold Fabianski wagon, particularly because of the double game week. But Foster needs to be um, considered. At the beginning of the season, he was 5 million and Watford would die, so no one was actually considering him at all. But in terms of sort of goalkeeper returns, and I know we, we, kind of, we don't tend to overanalyse the goalkeepers, but he's actually uh, matching Henderson and Ryan now as joint seconds for points for all goalkeepers with 81. And he's even cheaper than Henderson now having Henderson started at 4.5 million. So he's one that I'm I'm considering, perhaps, especially if Fabianski's injured. So I'm looking at him, perhaps, as a Gazaniga replacement. But um, Decore in the midfield's the other one. I think you mentioned, Tom, playing in that number 10 slot. Goal and assist in the last couple of games. Perhaps we, we need to consider him. So, Anthony, what, what do you have on Watford?
0: There has been a particularly pronounced new manager bounce with Watford. Maybe that's... Especially so considering how poor Watford were under their both of their two managers that they've had so far this season. So in the five games that Pearson's had, it's been three wins, all of which came at home, which may prove an interesting detail as time passes. Then there was a loss to Liverpool and then there was a one-all draw away to Sheffield United. So as the articles start to roll in heavily praising Pearson and what he's done, we need to start to kind of look at that team in proper detail. And I've focused on that attacking trident that they have of Troy Deeney, Gerard Delafeu, whose name is always misspelled, and Ishmael Assar, who have played all of the three games together. Uh, Deeney is the one who has, I guess, on paper done the best. He's got three goals. But if you really dig into those details, you'll find that he's extremely reliant on penalties. He has a non-penalty XG of one17 over the course of those five games, which is less than the likes of Shane Long, who played 200 minutes, or Connor Wickham, who played 45, as we mentioned earlier in this pod. And then Gerd Delefeuille, who is one million less than Sarr, but his class as a forward. He's had two goals so far in the period, and that included a well-taken finesse shot on New Year's Day. But... He's not actually overly convincing when you look at his underlying attacking statistics. He is still the creator-in-chief in gross terms for that team, but he hasn't actually created any big chances. It's, it's actually Troy Deeney again who leads in this department with three big chances created. However, that said, if you watch any Watford game, it is Gerard Delafé who passes the eye test. He does go past players, and he is the one that continues to show up on match of the day. So worth being careful of him, but maybe actually considering ahead of him, Ishmael Assar, who is the one who's getting the chances. He's had 11 shots in the box, which is just a little less than the likes of Danny Yings, DCL and Raul Jimenez over the last five game weeks. And he's also had a decent XG in that period with 1.88. But the real benefit for SAR ahead of the, let's say, Dini and Delafeu is the fact that he's, of course, classed as a midfielder. So you're able to get more bang for your buck when he actually finds the net compared to the likes of Jerry D or Troy. So that's particularly interesting. So it's Saar that's reached the four for me. The defensive story as an overall thing is not that great. Um, it's quite actually similar to Kika Sanchez-Flores' record where Watford's defence isn't isn't quite relegation form bad, but it's certainly bottom half bad. But what I did was I filtered out the the Liverpool and Man United games from their fixtures, i.e. just take the last three games, where they conceded just two goals and they got a clean sheet as well. And what you find then is that they're decidedly mid-table for all of the important stats, which is pretty promising. So in terms of shots in the box conceded, XG conceded, etc. They were very, very mid-table. And so with that in mind, I think Ben Foster is the one to pick up. There are budget defensive options, but it's Foster who's going to be getting the save points. He got save points in two of the last three games, and he also got a clean sheet as well. That clean sheet was eminently possible given the underlying (laughs) stats. It wasn't a complete abnormality. So foster for hmm. me going forward with Bournemouth away, Spurs at home, Villa, Everton and Brighton to come.
1: When you stuck with him last season for a very, very long stretch of time, I vaguely remember you posted that gif of that um, of the motorcycle going off about a driver and just being like, <laughs> Ben Foster owners for like this.
0: Yeah, yeah, it was life as a Ben Foster owner. That was a ridiculously <laughs> well liked tweet from what it was. I was, I just it's a bit
1: like with Pope this year. Yeah, just get him on, just take him on his 12 and get rid of him. Um, yeah. But no, I wouldn't advise that for anyone writes in. Uh, but the reality of Watford that I find particularly enthralling is that they are the epitome of that sort of team that's been completely forgotten. Can either of you? tell me who the highest selected player is from Watford and uh, make a guess at the percentage as well I'd probably say it was Deo Lefeo because I remember him being a popular pick before
2: at the beginning of the season mm. just because of yeah, he got a couple of hat-tricks um, last season against the likes of Cardiff and Huddersfield exactly. um, uh, but I'd probably say it might mm. only be a hazard a guess about seven percent
1: okay Stoke, what do you reckon
0: I'm just trying to think. Did they have some 4.0 rated defender that was like, you know, the sort of player that people just threw their money into whose price would never change that got popular? But I don't think there was. It was Mariapa a few seasons ago.
1: Yeah, maps. Uh, No, it's uh, Ben Foster, and he's 3% owned. He's the highest owned Watford player, Uh, 3%. Uh, Delafay, who mentioned 2.4%. Dini 1% and SAR, 0.8% owned, this. made of SAR. So they really represent a good example of a team that if you invest in them and you get it right, they could really fire you up those rankings. A bit of a downside perhaps is their fixtures. So they've got Bournemouth, Tottenham, Villa, Everton and Brighton. Actually, there's not too much of a downside, is it? And those pictures are okay. So, I mean, I, I'm kicking myself a little bit because obviously I sold Grealish and I, I had to get Adama in. But if I'd have gone another way, I, I may well have got Sarin. He got an assist, obviously, this week. But I, I really like what you said about him being out position, being kind of a proxy uh, Sadio Mane of that team at the moment. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? And we're back.
0: So following on from our talking about new manager bounces, where better to go than to West Ham, where David Moyes has really kicked into gear with a big 4 nil win over Bournemouth at the weekend that definitely merits an FPL conversation. What are your thoughts on it, Tom?
1: Yeah, so I mean... Pellegrini sacked on the 28th, and Moyes installed by the Pawn Barons, Golden Sullivan, on the 29th to a collective mayor. And Suj on Planet FPL said the 18 month contract was like saying, We trust you enough to to finish the season, but not really enough to give you a longer deal. So it's kind of hedging all round, isn't it? It's 18 months. It really is six months. We'll see see how you do. And then by the way through next year, I'm sure we'll get rid of you like a soggy chip. Uh, But what will Moyes bring? He's going to bring crosses and lots of them, as United fans will know. He even said, and I laughed at this, but I'm guessing no one else will because it was incredibly geeky to the Athletic that he was glad to find one of the big men getting the end of one of the crosses as uh, Ale got the end of one this weekend so just one match and um, there's no we can't be really, obviously it was tenuous to do two uh, as well but I tried to have a look at how David Moyes did over the last ten year compared to Pellegrini but really, I think things have changed so much since Moyes was there. He's now got an embarrassment of attacking riches. obviously not doing very much, but he does have that kind of level of player there nowadays. So I didn't really do that comparison. Uh, Instead, we should probably look at the players. Uh, I think the one man is uh, the man who's been referenced by many in Fabianski. As I said in pre-season, he is an eponymously fab goalkeeper. Last season, he prevented a De uh, Gea-esque 10-plus goals compared to the amount of goals he should have conceded, as well as getting the most saves to boot. I mean, the fixtures aren't particularly good, and I guess many have looked at West Ham's fixtures and thought, no, you're just getting carried away by a double game week. But I mean, this year, clean sheets are so unpredictable that 4.9 is a 0.4 premium Yeah, But with the history of saves and a a points per game of 3.5 plus a double game week, Maybe it's actually a decent bargain. I don't really mind that. Plus, if he does get a cleanie with all those saves, he may well get a double-digit return. So he was one of the guys who came in for me on my wildcard, and I got a six-pointer straight away. I now see that he may be injured for the FA Cup this weekend. But it's the FA Cup, and no one cares. Right, Fabianski, should we start there before maybe looking at cheekier picks like Antonio and Allaire? Uh, Nick, you're looking at Fabianski for Gazaniga, aren't you?
2: Yeah, I am considering him. I think yeah, we talk about new manager bounces, but it's almost like a new goalkeeper bounce for West Ham as well. And just having a you know a goalkeeper at the back of the team will, will provide the rest of the, the team with confidence that you know because obviously they need to trust their goalkeeper. And I think you know the four nil demolition of Bournemouth was, was really impressive, fantastic start for for Moise's tenure. But you know Bournemouth look absolutely terrible right now. They only managed to create free chances in that game. And, and they've obviously got a few injuries as well. You know, I think Moyes won't find too many um, easier games than that. Just talking about Moyes, it was I found it entertaining. He said, "I, I win. It's what I do." As part of all. Um, when he was hired which is a bit of a funny thing to say considering
1: his 33% win rate or something like that yeah
2: and his Sunderland win percentage he only won eight games um, there and had a win percentage of 18.6% so uh, remains to be seen if he's going to get the old gang back together and sign Oviedo and Paddy McNair (laughs) and then crew but um, all all jokes aside um, it was a really good start for West Ham and perhaps a sign of change um, at the club there and um, yeah as you said the fixtures aren't particularly great Sheffield United away I mean it's a middling game, considering Sheffield United's form this season. Then they've got Everton at home, which will be a challenge. And it's that double game week, which we've all been relatively excited about because of the Liverpool assets, but not really about the West Ham assets. And that's because they play Leicester and Liverpool in that game. So we haven't really talked too heavily about those West Ham assets. It's Brighton and Manchester City after that. Perhaps a few people might be looking at their higher with their higher highest percentage, which is uh, Winston Reed, actually, Tom, for West Ham. I know we talked about it for Watford, but Winston Reed is the most owned uh, West Ham player at this particular moment in time. 4.8% ownership for the 3.9 million man. Um, I don't know what you think, uh, Anthony, about the, the West Ham assets and, and David Moyes.
0: So watching that West Ham team, I think what stood out to me really, aside from the, let's say, defenders and goalkeeper who are looking quite good for the double game week, maybe were Philippe Anderson and Sebastian Alley. Alley was well known for being particularly good in the box and particularly good at heading during his time at Eintracht Frankfurt. We haven't really seen all that much of that since he came into the Premier League. And so I'm interested to see how... Moises' cross heavy, extremely structured game will work. And one of the players providing those crosses actually was Ryan Fredericks, who had a particularly good game at the weekend. And then just in behind Aller was Filippi Anderson, who you've already noted already, but to score his first goal of the season. on New Year's Day, when you consider that he's one of the few players in the league that are actually capable of probably getting double figures for both goals and assists. He didn't do it last season, but he showed the form to get there at times. It is quite interesting, and there is definitely a high ceiling there for him as the weeks go forward.
1: Uh, they've been very, very bad, and the byword for inconsistency, a byword for captain picks against, haven't they? This season, and indeed, uh, inconsistency has been something which has rotted them for a long time. As you mentioned with uh, Philippe Anderson, there was a while when he was really on it, um, a few people bought, and then he got good fixtures, and he was at the tail end of being on it, and he trolled people. He had five blanks in a row, despite having nice fits at the end of last season or uh, during the middle of last season. If you say the word crosses, um, and you look at the list, one man does stand out: Antonio, the man who has got the jumping reach of of a chihuahua but he is over the last couple of seasons he's uh, been in and out of the team through injury um, but he does have a decent goal scoring record behind him it's just a case of whether he's going to it's going to work with him because I think he, David Moyes went for a 4-4-1-1 four, four, one, one, I think I'm right in saying Philippe Anderson moved to the number 10 Alaire um, Allaire um, doing the uh, doing the role he played at, at Frankfurt as you said um, he, Jovic was slightly behind him at Frankfurt so Allaire will be doing the job of knocking it down to other players he strikes me as a bit of a Jimenez almost uh, Allaire will be a player who if he is Playing the team which services him, will we'll take over. May may not get kind of those those explosive scores. Yeah, I I, I kind of feel like it's Fabianski your bust with them right now while we wait and see what happens. Um, there may be the likes of you know Balbuena at four point three could come back into the reckoning. But I think it would be a punt and nothing more than a punt, given the nature of those fixtures. If we did go for an Allaire or did go for an Antonio or did go for a Philip Anderson, because at the moment we've got one game to judge it on. And obviously there's a lot of opportunity and everyone's hesitance in going for one of those players early, but I just don't think it's worth it for that level game week. Is it really?
0: So far, it doesn't look like it in fairness. Yeah. I'm just, even when you think about some of the players that have actually been popular from the West Ham side, even so far this season, there was the a period where Allo was in demand. There was also a period where Yarmolenko was in demand. And the fact that their ownership has dipped so low, I guess highlights just how poor that West Ham have actually been that even, it's only the few ghost ships that are left that actually ended up with them. But speaking of players not to get rid of, Liverpool are definitely in that. And they're the other team that are participating in the double game week in game week 24. And so we've got a lot of questions about that, including FPL Osmo, who asked if we should be loading up for the double game week and which three assets we should pick. Martin SE5 asked also if Virgil van Dijk is worth our consideration. FPL JK was asking if the double defence or the double attack was better. And FPL Chancellor has been asking about doubling up at the back and whether it's a requirement after yet another Liverpool clean sheet. So,
1: what do we think, guys? I hesitate to say it's an interesting one, but I think it, it definitely is. Annoyingly, Adam Hopcroft tweeted something similar to what I'm about to say, which always seems to happen with him. God damn you, Adam. But I noted that looking at Salah and Mane, it was obviously the argument that one, these players are both too expensive to buy, you're investing 24 million versus 14 million. And uh, before we get into it, I completely understand the case for uh, Robertson and uh, TAA. Just consider this, though. Uh, last, last calendar year, uh, Salah and Mane scored 25 goals. Uh, Salah assisted none of them. Last year, Salah scored 19 goals. Mane assisted two of them. So I, I think that it is, it really is a case of one or the other. It's not really a case of looking at them both and saying, well, one can cover the other. Like they're both going to get their hauls and get their holes independently, individually, which is quite interesting, actually, if you think about it. Uh, Robbo and Taa, uh, just for the record, assisted nine of Marnay Marnay's goals together, but only four. And I think that that is why Mala, um a portmanteau that I'm not going to apologise for using, is such a sword. I think a lot of managers said it's, you know, a lot of managers say it's going to take you a lot of surgery to get there. It's going to take you, you know, you're going to have to you know, take massive hits. You're going to have to take minus twelve like some not jobs do. Um, and Andrew Ferguson said on the podcast that I was on last week that you can't have Yamané and Salah as well as Rashford, Vardy, KDB, and TAA but guess what I do and there's also an element of kind of a captaincy confusion which I find a bit irrational actually just captain the one that you captain if you just own one. so I think that really managers are going to be looking and it completely makes sense if you are doing it to go for TA and Robbo like I'm sure Nick's going to do but I think that because be, it'll be very difficult for that man just to get to that kind of double up of the midfielders, it could be a really, really strong sword for you to have those two. And the data does not seem to suggest the idea that you'll be able to build an ultimate team with just one of Mo or Mane and be able to cover the other one. It really looks like their returns are individual. But the case for the defence, I'm guessing, is about to come from Nick. What are, you, what are you looking at, Nick? I'm guessing it is Robbo and TAA all the way? Actually, it's, it's not,
2: Tom. So obviously, Liverpool, Liverpool have been the team of the week. But they've also been a team of the year. They've been the team of the year all year, haven't they? And, um, you know, answering a couple of the questions, also, Mo said, um, should we be loading up for the double game week? And definitely be loading up straight away, not just for the double game week. You know, if I could own four players, I would. But um, unfortunately, I think I'm actually thinking about the double attack. I've just I found a, a way into it. I, I, I think it's perhaps it's fear of Salah. I've already got Mane. I've got Trent now, but I feel with Salah, I just I just want him as well. And and if I can make it happen, I, I will make it happen. And it's relatively easy for me to do it. As I said, I can do Rashford to Dominic Calvert-Lewin, and that frees up me to do Ali to Salah. So. Why not? Why not go for the Salamane combo and still keep the likes of KDB and Vardy and Trent and all these other assets that I've got, which I'm happy with, um, like Madison as well. So I, I, I think it's just a bit more exciting to go for the attack. but. And um, to answer the questions, I mean, that's just my personal decision. Liverpool have really improved at the back. You know, they're going to get plenty of clean sheets. They're, they just look brilliant, don't they? Every game week, they look absolutely brilliant. And again, Andrew Robertson really impressed, particularly this week. He was top for defenders for chances created with five, picked up an assist and some bonus points, as well as the clean sheet, proving himself another fantastic FPO asset, as we all knew from last season. And now he's up to 98 points So him and Trent, now firmly the top two scoring defenders, finally, as we all kind of predicted at the beginning of the season, they would be. So it's hard for me to say, oh, you should be doubling up at the back or you should be doubling up in the midfield. I think it very much depends on how your team's currently set up, who you can afford to get rid of who you can afford to bring in. But I do think it is possible to do the double apps of Salah and Mane, as you alluded to, Tom, and still keep all of your best FPO assets. So I think we, we all know the underlying stats for the players, but I think Liverpool is essential. It's just, you know, staying in the middle and avoiding the scrutiny if I get it wrong. But it's, it's up to you, really, in terms of your setup and whether the double midfield or the double defence works.
0: So I've been also obviously considering this whole entire double game week shenanigans with Liverpool and whether or where to double up really is the question. It's not whether to, it's where to double up and it's whether it is defence or whether it is Salah and Mane. That's, I, I think, effectively what the choice really comes down to. Someone asked, it was Martin SE5 asked if Virgil van Dijk is worth consideration and I think really the answer is no and as you can really justify cutting your cloth that little bit thinner on the likes of Trent Alexander-Arnold or Andrew Robertson. Whereas when I look at that Liverpool team, I'm like, okay, Wolves away, West Ham away. Those are the two games in that double game week. Can they keep a clean sheet in both of those? And I think the answer is probably likely to be yes. However, do I think that the likes of Sadio Mane or Mo could score one in both of those games? I think the answer is probably also yes. And I think it's more likely that both of those players will score one goal then one of the defenders will get one clean sheet and so with that in mind i think right now i'm trending towards just picking up the two attackers and be done with it one of them will also be captained as well obviously so you have to factor that into the account as well when you consider the possible points ramifications on that so that's how i'm feeling it'll probably be part, one of the big reasons why i wildcard will be to try and have two liverpool attackers those being mala or sane as we could call it
1: too which would cause utter confusion uh, yeah, so why weren't why that way with the yeah? Um, yeah, that's a bit of a cheeky back here. Actually, I wasn't. I wasn't expecting that. I wasn't. I was expecting at least one of you to be like, "Oh, come on, the defense is so much better because you get better value for your money, and it's really obvious you have got to do that." Excellent. It's good to have some variety on who got VSS compared to just everyone agreeing. Um, but yeah, I, I'm not sure about VVD. Um, I think that there is worth a shout. Last year, for example, Laporte did a crazy job in double game weeks, didn't he? Um, obviously, they're not the same player, and City aren't on the same team. But he'll definitely play and has an obvious goal threat as shown by his random brace not long ago. But as you say, I think my judgment was that really if they are scoring goals individually without really helping each other out, yeah, I think that having those two midfielders is probably the best way of doing it. I guess for me, the, the guiding principle, I was speaking to Flapjack and a few others about this earlier on, is who are you most scared of? Who are you most scared of not owning? And I think, Nick, you were bricking it about Salah all of the game against Sheffield United, weren't you? And I think that that's definitely uh, should be a bit of a governing factor here for a lot of people, especially if you can fit the, the double midfielders in. There's no reason why you shouldn't, I don't think.
2: No, I think um, I know perfectly you're probably going to be triple captaining Salah in, in that particular game week and. and and you won't be alone doing that triple captain and I think just not owning him at all is just, it's just going to be too frightening you can see my season just being torn apart before my very own eyes and I, I know Robertson's pretty good as well and a lot of managers will be owning him for that game week but they're unlikely to be captaining him and I think it's, it's again is a bit boring but you know to, to try and cover Salah by at least having him in my team even though I'm probably going to stick with Mane and give him the uh, captaincy I think I I really like I'd really like to get Salah in my team as well and if I can make it happen I'm going to make it happen I think
0: as we trend towards the a break and then the features section it is worth remembering all of the wonderful centre-back performances in double game weeks likes of Laporte last season last season as mentioned I guess David De Gea benefited from defensive points the season before that and uh, Shane Duffy last season Yeah, don't give,
1: don't forget Ben Gibson. <laughs> just ben Nick captain him one time and uh, in, in, a du- it. in a
2: double in a double game week. Uh, eighteen points. I think a few people captained the that time. I, was,
1: a, I,
0: was, on, I was on the grado of those things I'll never forget. Oh, that was <laughs> he a, a, a double game weeks.
1: Uh, absolutely killer. Um, Absolute killer. It was it Harry Kane as well that, that year as well when he was ill one game, came on uh I oh, game remember yes,
0: there was yeah. the, it was it was an injury. There was a picture, it was actually around Christmas time, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, he had man flu. Yeah. He got he got he got some. He was unable to talk for a while. Very very bad. But yeah, I think really summing up the session, the reality is that it is pretty much just whatever suits your team and however you judge the situation to be best. Nick mentioned a minute ago, the TC at the moment is on most Salah for me. If it comes to game week 24, just because I've been waiting for three years to triple captain Mo Salah, probably wrongly, I should probably have the captain him against Watford there uh, when he scored three, uh, scored a hat trick and got an assist uh, there uh, a couple of years ago on a blank. But yeah, I think he'll get the CC. So maybe that's another thing to bear in mind, the effects of ownership, which may go up. I think we should take a break though, shouldn't we? Move on to the feature section. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? So we're back and it's time for our features. This week, it's the Market Forces. It's a final over-30s update until March. It's the beginning of a new feature called Stag's Take and it's Dad Watch. Uh, so let's start with Market Forces. Nick Shreve, you're the man on the touchline. Can tell us what's going on?
2: So it's all about the forwards at the moment, what with the... Um two most transferred out players at the moment being Kane and Vardy, Kane obviously he's done his hamstring in so all the managers that owned him um, are selling him 230,000 transfers out at this particular moment in time and Vardy having missed a couple of games he's got a yellow flag he's expected back from his calf injury but um, some managers have seen enough and said right that's it I'm, I'm getting rid of this guy despite his uh, prolific goal scoring record over the course of the season and uh, yeah apparently 160,000 managers have have sold him, which um, seems perhaps a little bit foolish, what with their, their next few games coming up. But um, the man being bought most heavily is is Danny Ings, a uh, good old Danny boy. We all thought he wouldn't be able to play every game at Christmas. How wrong were we? He's now got 13 goals, unbelievably, for the season and one assist. So he's even starting to to look like he can, uh, he can compete for the Golden Boot, believe it or not. Maybe not. But um, yeah, who's not to say? I mean, we've, we've not owned him all season. Perhaps it's going to be one of our mistakes of the season. I don't know. But 6.7 million, um, I think he can fit in quite nicely in, in most people's teams now as sort of a third um, forward. And I, I said they had a, a tough fixture run, but he's proved himself against the likes of Spurs. Not not too challenging, to be honest, this season. And uh, Southampton's fixtures are going to start picking up um, soon. So yeah, I think um, that manager's interested in Danny Ings Um I know Tom. You're more for we brought in more pay, but are you looking at Ings at all?
1: Uh, If I can fit him in, I will. Um, I'm also very, very worried that the moment I buy him, he's going to go straight to hospital. Um, So I'm I'm not too sure whether um, I will be buying him anytime soon. Obviously, he and uh, James Madison is in third moment of the two, the two big misses. I think in my team who are beginning to get a bit worrying uh, week to week. (laughs) Uh, So yeah, uh, I may have to cut. Uh, cook up some sort of plan while I'm away to buy him. Maybe you'll see uh, a minus eight that's been taking at a stupid hour of night and, be, and text me saying, will you smash? i would be like, yeah, mate, yeah, Ings in. Yeah, um, yeah, it's he's probably... Ings out for weeks uh, due to breaking his glass ankle. <laughs> Well, yeah, it'll be it'll be the
2: other way around, won't it? Be? If it's the middle of the night in the UK, it'll be your morning and you'll be like, you'll be pretending to be smashed, but in fact, you just made it over a sort of an anxious breakfast, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but, uh, Ing's the most transferred in player. This this game, week hundred seventy five thousand transfers in, but also Bamiyang, 90,000 transfers, and Calvert Lewin also over 90,000 transfers, making up the fourth and fifth most transferred in players. But as you mentioned, Madison third most transferred in player. This game, 100,000 managers in, and have transferred him in and Jack Grealish, another man you, you sold there 110,000 transfers in after a um, fantastic performance at the weekend. Um, the, the sellers, um, so Danny uh, Deli Alley is being sold quite heavily, he's got Liverpool up next and Spurs were pretty atrocious against Southampton, 140,000 transfers out. And also Mason Mount, who also um, has been relatively quiet in in recent weeks, only um, one assist in the last six games and and no goals at all. So his um, early uh, goal scoring form um, has really dried up recently.
1: Yeah, uh, so quite a lot going on in the market not surprising except for that Vardy sale I think that that's going to hurt a few people so. I know he's had a couple of blanks, I know that makes sense to sell him if you just look at the last couple of games but those people must have lost so much value in Vardy by selling him uh, in a sort of whiplash sort of way so yeah I'm not too sure about that at all but but there it goes. Alright final over 30s update them, they're down to 2 million now, they haven't done very well over Christmas just because they've been impeded by the fact that they can only sign players over 30 uh, that means that we're a bit constricted on who we can own um, and it means yeah. This week, particularly, has not been particularly good. So, 36 points. Schmeichel and Evans, a defensive double-up for Leicester, doing an okay job. João uh, Moutinho, again, getting an assist. That guy has been a, a quiet assassin, really, in terms of just generating points in a drip-feed basis over the course of the season. But other than that, nothing. Uh, uh, Toby and Vertonghen at the back, both blanked. Tompkins, the goal-scoring hero from a couple of weeks ago, blanked. Uh, David Silva did nothing. was rested. Aguero was rested. And uh, Vardy not playing, Aubameyang uh, was the vice. Again, uh, only got uh, four, uh, two uh, doubles. And Mesa Ozil also did nothing. So yeah, 36 points, not particularly good. So you're, about- surely,
0: you're surely going to have to pick up an informed noble after his performance
1: this week. Yeah, maybe. I'll see if I can remember, uh, if I remember the password for this team or if my social fan member can help me uh, over the course of the time I'm away. But to replace the over we've come up with something novel, something new. So uh, Stag, uh, as you may know, writes a very, very uh, well-received column every week for Rotoworld. And he's bringing that sharp insight to the pod uh, every week by picking up on a relevant point that maybe we've all missed. uh, Maybe uh, we should be redressing. So uh, Stag, take it away. What have you noticed this week? So if you've
0: listened to this podcast over the last 40 minutes or so, I presume that have gone pie, or if you have just you know, been paying attention to Twitter, you'll notice that there's one team that's not being talked about, and that is Manchester City. They are by far and away the best team in terms of expected returns in assists, clean sheets, goals, etc., over the course of this season, and yet we continue to ignore them. Right now, they have a very good run coming up to the double game week. They've Aston Villa away. That's an Aston Villa who are dealing with Tom Heaton and Wesley out going forward. Crystal Palace at home, and then Sheffield United away. They also have Emeric Laporte nearing a return. However, probably not in game week 22, as the player himself has warned fantasy managers specifically that if we brought him in now, we may be disappointed. At the same time, up front, it's it's Gabri Jesus and Raheem Sterling, who are both doing particularly well in attacking returns. They're third and seventh overall, respectively, for XG over the course of the last six game weeks, whereas Kevin De Bruyne is... Continuing to churn out chances created, and is still a must own, based on the last six game weeks as he has been based on the whole entire season. It is actually notable once looking at those chances created of the last six game weeks that Emi Wendia is miles ahead of everyone in terms of chances created over the last six game weeks on 31. Kevin De Bruyne, effort just to give you an idea, is fourth in that metric with just 19 and then kevin de bruyne and Rian mares are both joint top over that course of that same period for big chances created with four so city good with good fixtures with something to play for in that their top four place is not under threat but leicester are certainly going to threaten their their second place for the foreseeable future and the champions league is not quite around the corner yet to screw them so city players i think we should be considering them that's the tea guys
2: Fantastic. Yeah, um, I think we've, I think there's some really good points there on, on Manchester City assets. They're definitely flying up, uh, flying under the radar a little bit at this particular moment in time. And, you know, the likes of Jesus Mara, Sterling, for instance, could really smash it whilst we were all kind of like looking at, you know, focused so heavily on, on fitting in all these Liverpool assets. They're, they're definitely flying under the radar.
1: Go on, Tom. in. You know, I was going to say, that I think the reason we're not really interested in City players, apart from maybe Sterling, uh, as well as KDB, most people alone, is just the minutes. Um, that, that's, the, that's the key. So Mares has played 990 minutes or so, which works out about 52% of the available time. And obviously the Jesus and Kun Aguero rotation going on, I mean, really if we are i mean yeah i completely understand where all the data is and how that kind of works out but i mean apart from kdb and apart from sterling i'm just not too sure where the interest is so and if you've got i think the double game week is probably the source of what's obscuring things because sterling is the only player that you get to get sterling you have to go without a mane or a Salah realistically and um, so maybe that, that's where the opportunity lies isn't it is, is having those players and backing City as you say that the numbers are off the charts in terms of the team data and um, compared to compared to Liverpool it's just whether kind of the real politique of the situation with the double game week may mean that that that's kind of what happened I mean the Port when he's back will something make that defence a lot more interesting if we get a resolution between who the main striker is between Aguero and Jesus in the Premier League then that's really interesting but as it stands it still seems to me that it's between Sterling and uh, and uh, De Bruyne and no one else really in the City. Because if you've got someone else, you're basically looking at your first sub coming on a lot of the time, or loads of one pointers. Unless you get lucky and they start, and then you get a ten. There's going to be very kind of a lot of boom and bust, which we don't we don't tend to like that sort of managers. managers, do we?
0: No. No, no, we do not. That is <laughs> with city players all the time. That we're always trying to figure out what to do with them. And so I guess it is the likes of Sterling specifically, and maybe you're looking further back at the David Silva, who has had a pretty big long rest over the last while with injuries, etc. And he may be in line to start continuously, like he had been earlier in the season. Also,
1: maybe Phil Foden be blooded. Who knows? <laughs> all right. And finally, Nick, how is your dad doing?
2: Uh, so yeah
1: I mean with my dad unfortunately has been a a little
2: bit of a fall from grace from sort of the house days at the beginning of the season where he was um, right up there in the sort of top 5k in terms of overall rank but um, unfortunately he had another red arrow uh, this game week at 50 points which means I've actually overtaken him now and so yeah a bit of a struggle for him in terms of his FPL season um, dropping a little bit in terms of overall rank but, you know, the likes of Madison got him some points there, 11 points. And the Stag's um, anti-man or man Vishalos and also picking up a, a seven-pointer there, um, sort of helping him out a little bit. But um, I think is uh, the absence of Fahadi and, and uh, puki also um, hitting him quite hard in terms of um, returns in, in recent weeks, at least. So time time to shift things up, I think, for my dad to try and recover
1: his season yeah i think it's always difficult when you go into seasons mode in the, on the world class setting when you're when you come from a semi-processing so uh, maybe you're seeing a reversion to type or a regression to the norm of what we'd expect from a uh, a first-time manager but who knows maybe you'll pick it up all right let's take a break there and move on to the questions you've got the assist who got the assist
2: so we're back, and it's time to catch up with the Who Got the Assist mini league. And if you want to join a league, the league code is EIKX03, and it is possible to do a proper league update um, for a change because the website's fully updated now, um, so we can see exactly what's happening. And at top of the league uh, this, this week is Mud um, Abdul Islam, who's been having a really good uh, season with his team Spartacus. Um, he's overall ranked 71st at this particular moment in time, number one in Bang- Bangladesh. Yeah, having a really good season, 60-pointers, another decent week, above-average week for him there. You know, the likes of Trent, Alexander-Arnold, Manet, Greedish, Danny Ings, of course, all doing the business for him this particular week. So, um, well done, um second, though, dropping down into second, is Declan Rin with the Wesley Crushers, only 54 points for him. But if we run through the top 10, our good friend on Twitter, MJ, Monald Javeri, having a really good season. He's in third in our league uh, with the Cop. He's up to 186 at the moment in time, so 70 points, a very good week for him. Uh, fourth is Kieran Screeton, pain in the vast. Fifth is Brian Evans with his team, Chippa Cabra. Sixth, Luke Burgess, with lukewarm FC. Seventh, Neil Thompson, we think he's out. Eight, FPL Lewis, another Twitter friend, um, Return of the Snag. Um, ninth is Gaten debacker Red Army. And tenth is Christina Hogseth with Tanta Bassa. All of the top ten there um, within the top 1K in the world. So well done, guys. All the guys that are doing really well in our mini-league at the moment.
0: Very notably, actually, down at 178th in the mini league as I rushed through to have a look at other people. There's a guy, Andrew Sims, who got 92 points this game week. That was a game week rank of 1048th, which saw him launched from obscurity at about 75k, where I would kill to be, to about 15.9k. So that's a fantastic return for Andrew, who had the standout returns in the top 200 this week.
1: Wow, that's really good. Yeah, so, so there you go, sack one good week and something your fortune is going to be reversed. Unfortunately, I'm sitting in my chair, so you're probably going to find that that one goal you need will never happen. It'll hit the post. It'll fall over on his ass for his wrong goal.
0: It's all there. It's all there.
1: I know, I know. Just blame Liverpool. Right, anyway, we're not going to talk about that. Instead, we're going to answer some listener questions. Thank you again for all of them. There's so many of them. Uh, The first one this week is an interesting one. It's from FPL Sports Scientist, who asks, if Game Week 25 is a good time to wildcard if you dead-end your team into the 24-double game week? So earlier on, Staggy mentioned maybe wildcarding a little bit earlier if you're in the situation that you're in. And I think this kind of comes to basically saying, right, if you're not sure about West Ham, you're not sure about Liverpool, just just put aside those reservations and buy those players just thinking, well, you know, game week twenty four, double game week, I'm gonna have five or six of them. Ruin my team basically set up to set up for that week. And then after that Wild cards, and then suddenly, you kind of, you know, engage FPR manager mode as you put it, as stag, and just uh, play the rest of the season without your wild card. I mean, I think that let's widen this a little bit to saying, is there any merit in wild carding now? Because obviously, the the prevailing idea is that no, you have got to wait, and you got to just see what kind of what news sort of emerges from the likes of Ben Quellen and the Premier League. But the reality is, I think there is a bit of an option there. Nick, what do you reckon to this?
2: Um, I mean, personally, I don't think it is a necessity to dead end your team into game week 24 i think you can do it and, and manage game week 24 without putting yourself in a situation where you're going to be forced to wild card in game week 25 for instance obviously with the triple liverpool um there would be no need to personally to wild card any of those guys out after the game week 24 what were their next fixtures um they've actually got a really decent fixture run after game week 24 starting with southampton and norwich so um i I certainly wouldn't be selling any of those guys. And I think 24, I don't think you need to be like thinking, Oh, I'm going to load up on West Ham players just for that game week. And, uh, and then wildcard and 25 as I want to get rid of them straight away, just because West Ham's fixtures aren't great. And, you know, there's going to be plenty of them single game week players, for instance, that will probably outscore most of their assets, you know, obviously the Leicester players, but also, you know, the likes of Everton who have you know quite a nice um, run of fixtures and Newcastle at home in, in game week 24. I'd actually, Personally, prefer to own Everton players for that game week than I would West Ham players. So, for me, I'm still standing by the uh, wait and wild card um, as late as possible when you've got as much information from the likes of Ben krellin um, and we know who the double game weeks are going to be and when the blanks are, etc., etc. So, I, I think for me, I think that's the advice I would give is just probably hold off on your wild card, plan your transfers accordingly towards game week 24, so you're, you're not forced to wild card early.
0: So I think that question from sports scientists or FPL sports scientist is quite interesting because it's gonna be pretty hard to dead end a team when there's a double game week that features just two teams, unless you triple up on West Ham players, in which case you're gonna need much more than a wild card. You're probably gonna to need to get your head checked as well. So I don't think that that's even possible. But kind of taking the broader concept of the question, which is looking at wild cards in general around now, I think there's strong arguments to wildcard around now if you're in mediocre land like i am at three odd million at the moment there's huge arguments to kick into fpl manager mode after a wildcard and then just start to build towards the double game weeks ben crellin expects us to know about the double game weeks the later double game weeks in approximately a month once we know about the fa cup fifth round and also the efl cup final but I think you should be able to manage it if you do wildcard now, as long as you don't go absolutely insane and pick players that are never going to be helpful in a double game week situation, you should be fine.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. I think that, I mean, at the moment, as far as we know, we've got this double game week coming up, which looks like the TC potentially. It looks like Leicester could potentially have a double game week in game week 28 if they get to the EFL Cup final, I believe. But it looks like the big double is going to be 37. There's not going to be two big doubles this year as far as we know. There's going to be one blank as always uh, for FA Cup and a cup related kind of stuff uh, which is when the free hit is going to be used. The 37 is going to be your branch boost or whatever and either the 24 double game week or if another game double game week emerges those are going to be the prime spots perhaps to use your TC if you haven't used it already. I, I think I mean, I am not doing as badly as you. That oh, sounds really horrible, stag. But I'm, I'm not doing uh, as uh, my mediocrity is less mediocre than yours is. Put it that way. I think 569k or something like that. Here's Jeff. Um Jeff. <laughs> yeah. But this week I did seriously consider wild carding. I, did, I didn't go for it then because I wanted to keep it just in case. But I really think that a lot of the time the people dispensing the advice, like like Nicholas there, are people who are doing very very well. So obviously they're going to be keeping the wild card. There's no point in them spaffing their wild card now. Whereas if you're in mediocre land and you want to be getting yourself back to a situation where you're, you're feeling a bit more respectable about your rank, about your FPL, I don't see any reason why you wouldn't be thinking about your wildcard pretty seriously. Um, just because you know, you're know you probably going to be a little bit either behind the template, you're going to be on the template now, whereas everybody else who's above you was on the template a couple of weeks ago. So you want to be kind of taking a few more risks and getting a few low-owned players, like the Watford guys you spoke about, for example, to try to do something to improve your rank. I can't. uh, It's obviously a calculated risk, but I completely understand that. And. Like a lot of the time, as well, a lot of the arguments against the wild card, uh, card earlier, just are oh, you going to have to take lots of hits? You're going to have to do this. You're going to have to do that. Well, say so what you know. Plan it. Take some hits if you need to. That's not the worst thing in the world is take a minus four, and um, if you have to, just kind of set yourself a game week 37. Like if, if you want right now to take advantage of a few things that are going on, th- then do it. Uh, the beauty actually of Liverpool having that double game week in uh, in 24 is that. They also then have a very, very nice run of fixtures, actually. Um, so after the 24-double uh, game week, they have Southampton, Norwich, West Ham, Watford and Bournemouth and over that five. I mean, I there's going to be a lot of rotation and stuff. But the core of that triple Liverpool now is going to set you up for quite a long time, isn't it, really? So, yeah, I mean, I, I think there's ample reason to wildcard now. It's just whether you're willing to take the plunge or kind of go the rest of the season without that chip.
0: Yeah, the fact of the matter is what's scaring people from wildcarding now is the idea of having to take hits later. But the fact of the matter is, if you're considering a wildcard now like me, you're probably doing so bad that you're going to end up taking hits anyway to fix mistakes you're going to make. So you might as well just do the wildcard now, accept the pain of having to overmanage later. And maybe thrive off that. I often find that in FPL, I do particularly well if I barely think about what I'm doing or if I really think extremely hard and look at every single statistic for what I'm doing. If I'm somewhere in the middle, things start to go badly. And I've been in the middle far too often this season. And maybe wildcarding will kind of force me between a rock and a hard place and just force all that like hyper research five days a week to with every transfer I make to really thrive. So I'm probably going to go for it.
1: Nice. Oh, it definitely makes some good pod fare, won't it? Right. The next thing: Spurs getting Spursy. So, Plan View asks how appealing Spurs' assets are. Sans Harry Kane, uh, is Delhi now of interest? Um, and Samant Natkar asks if he should be looking to get rid of Ali and Aurier. Nick, resident Spurs fan, uh, what's your view? Should we be uh, sell, sell, sell right now on your lads? So unfortunately, I, I was doubled up for for
2: Spurs um, for the last few game weeks, and it has been um, pretty poor in terms of their performances, and um, uh, particularly disappointing that last game against Southampton, which they lost. And um, surprisingly, to be honest, like I've owned Daily Ali for the last five or so game weeks, and I actually was I didn't even realise it, but he's only actually got one return in the last five. I thought he was doing a little bit better than that but he's just the one return that one goal against Brighton yeah and his form has dropped off a little bit after that you know boost to his game that he got the new manager coming in and sort of Jose bring Daddy Ali back from the brink after being very absent for the last 18 months or so. With Kane out, perhaps it means that Daddy's now going to be of interest. But it'll be interesting how Mourinho lines up um, Spurs with Kane absence because obviously um, Son's now back as well. It's worth highlighting. He's been suspended for the last few games. But whenever Kane would be injured under Pochettino, um, Son would play in that number nine uh, position. So it'll be very interesting to see what approach Mourinho takes with the Spurs lineup, and if he puts Son in that number nine and Addy stays as sort of you know the number ten slash secondary striker role that he started to adopt under the new manager. So I think for me it's probably. Unfortunately, as as much as it pays me to say, it's probably time to consider selling the Spurs assets. Even though they've they've got sort of a weird fixture runners right? in it's Liverpool next, then it's Watford and Norwich, which you, you'd like to think that the Spurs players could do well against in those games, and it's Manchester City, and yeah, um, which is another tough fixture.
1: Yeah, no, certainly, um, I agree with that completely, and I think the kind of return of Son um, is going to be very interesting. So Mourinho said earlier on this week the squad is going to be the same squad as it was in pre-season and they're going to have to find solutions within it, uh, which probably means that they're not going to be buying anyone in the January transfer window. And I think Son is probably going to be the solution for the caneless team. He'll be like Alan Smith in his prime, uh, push-ups number push up to number nine, a role that we know he can fulfil and fulfil well. Uh, worth mentioning that Son's uh, ownership has now gone down to 5.8% after that red card. It was about twenty twenty five percent i think before that road car kicked in with many of us including myself thinking he'd be the captain over christmas for Brighton Lurich, and Norwich uh, and southampton um i think that him returns to the team's gonna be uh, of great interest with or without the central defensive midfielder kane so it could well be that son is a very good example uh, of a player who you could be looking to introduce on your wild card or it introduces a big differential maybe on the same lines as that ign- ignorance of man city that you're getting at earlier stag uh, maybe son could be another nice one there to uh, a low owned opportunity perhaps
0: yeah, you identify Son there as the player to buy and I'm just not convinced that he's going to play in that number nine role. I think what we've already seen so far this season that Kane has often been dropped back and it's been Ali who's been playing in that forward role. And I think what you may find is this is a chance for Christian Eriksen or Gio Lacelso to probably get further game time perhaps in that number mm-hmm. 10 role and Son will fit in on the side. just doesn't seem fully doesn't seem fully like a Mourinho thing to do to put him in at number nine and move Ali to where? The 10 position again, I think he's been doing quite well in that slightly further up role. And I think Mourinho is going to double down on his finishing rather than restraining him further.
1: Yeah, I mean, 150,000 people have sold Ali. Do you think that they uh, could could have caused to regret that uh, this week then?
0: Yeah, probably, but I'll probably be one of them too. It'll be 2001. Um, but I think that there is definitely an argument that they will be made to rue that decision. I think there's Spurs, a bit like United, are very Jekyll and Hyde so far this season, um, rather fittingly. And so it's just so hard to know how they'll do. Like the, On paper, at least, the game against Liverpool sounds like near impossible and seems like a good week to just move them out, have a look and see where Son plays and work out what is Maria's approach going forward without Harry Kane, probably for a few weeks at minimum and Mm -hmm. then go from there
1: yeah be interesting to see what GLC can do Um, I think er- Erickson's obviously the go-to guy in the past but it sounds like he's making noises that he wants to go he's told the club apparently he wants to go wouldn't mm. be surprised to see him solve for something in this transfer window and the yeah, uh, GLC he's, to assume he's very that. much playing like somebody who wants to go as well he was pretty yeah. inspiring at the weekend yeah. <laughs> playing like I'm podcasting mentally checked out <laughs> right the next thing then uh, DCL I think we've spoken about him a little bit so Jake Cope and Brian Cahill I think that we've already answered your question pretty much so we're going to sk- uh, skip over that one um, they move on to the next one, which is fourth and fifth mids. Uh, so FPL DC asks, is Camp well? My cousin Todd uh, now readopted into the family after performing well, uh, the real deal. And FPL Cis asks about Traore and Shelby, you know, these sorts of guys around the edges. Uh, how interested are we in these sorts of uh, individuals? Uh, Nick, what, what do you reckon to these? Uh, I guess midfielders around below the six million, I guess below Grealish and below Saar. So it has to be below the six million. Is there anything there in the dregs?
2: So, so, I still think, yeah, probably cousin Todd's the, the man to talk about. You, you want that sort of player around that price? He's only five. He's less than five million. He's four point nine this moment in time. He, he has been sort of the the bargain midfielder of of the season. If you're not going to play with a five man field, I've actually got five man midfield at the moment. The Greenish being the cheapest of the five, um, then yeah, Camp Campwell will be the player that you want to come off the bench I and mean, when you've got an absent and you know a lot of people picked up Campbell points So uh, uh, this game week are 10, 10 points in fact because of the Vardy injury so I think he's definitely sort of the man I don't know if in terms of the real deal how he will press on in terms of his actual career links with the likes of Arsenal and Spurs are starting to appear in the media but he's certainly um, you know been a, a real, really bright spark for, for Norwich and yeah, I think a player that can fit in very nicely on on your bench as sort of a, a fifth midfielder or perhaps even playing week in, week out and, you know, allow you to afford, you know, those premium assets, you know, those premium setups that we've been discussing. Yeah, and I think at Traore... Um, Another player that's you know impressed quite a lot over the course of the season. He has been the sort of one trick pony in the past. He, he's put in some really good performances, especially against uh, Manchester City. And I think he he certainly won the court your eye, didn't he, Tom? Having transferred him in,
1: yeah, I, I transferred him in really as a foil for Jimenez. And that, that sounds a bit silly, but they had Watford, Newcastle, and Southampton. He was five point five at the time, and I thought, well, you know, him Greedish for him basically freed up the money that I needed to get to a and. Um, I noticed as well that he's actually, uh, according to who scored, he's the most informed player in the Premier League at the moment. He smashed Andros Townsend's record for uh, successful dribbles in the last game against against Watford without actually getting any points. I think there were two assists he could have got but he didn't get. So quite a tricky sort of area, which is really just basically ruled by my cousin I, I'm not too sure about the rest of the players there's a lot of kind of discarded has-beens the likes of uh, McGinn uh, Shelby's actually Crocs Voldemort and um, so I'm not too sure about him uh, James Ward-Prowse actually could be of, of interest um, down there too but um, not too consistent if you are looking for consistency uh, one man I, I do kind of like I know Sam from her family's had him in her team for ages is Joe Moutinho He's got six assists this season, actually, and he scored a goal as well. Um, on a lot of the set of pieces for Wolves, never present. If you want someone to just tick over, he could be your man. Um, but yeah, it really is a uh, slim pickings down there, isn't it, Stag?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Like I have, Cantwell, have had him since his early form and will continue to hold him at this point. I think I'm just going to accept that I'm playing a five-man midfield going forward with Cantwell being the fifth of those because there are no better option than him at that sub-six bracket that we were speaking about, for me anyway. However, moving on from Cantwell and looking further back at the teams, uh, FPL Jag is asking about Diego Rico and what should we do with him going forward. Uh, Nick, do you have anything to th- say about Rico?
2: Yeah, he, I mean, to be honest, he, he's he been a sort of 4th or 5th defender on my bench uh, Um the The whole season, he's actually. I think he's actually, apart from David Button, he's the only ever present in my squad now. And having sort of swapped Trent Alexander Arnold in and out for a a terrible 24 pointer, uh, Rico stands as that only ever present. And you know, um, I stupidly brought in Matt Target, he's probably first on the list in terms of the sales for my defense. Um, Rico stays despite that minus one pointer and just, just. Bournemouth being absolutely diabolical recently, I think he stays. And, you know, just looking at Bournemouth's fixtures, they have been horrendous, as we said, they've got lots of injuries, but their fixture run's pretty decent. Watford at home, Norwich away, Brighton at home, Aston Villa at home, Sheffield United away. You know, even a, a shocking Bournemouth might be able to pick up a couple of clean sheets in, in those games, maybe. You know, he, he can be a man that can come in as a 12th or 13th and I bought it at 4.0 million. So there's not really anyone that I really want to bring in at that price point. You could say the same about Martin Kelly as you could uh, about Rico, considering the um, the recent performances for Crystal Palace as well. Um, defensively, I think the only person I mentioned, perhaps is Holgate, if I could afford it. But I think at the moment, they're probably bigger fires to
1: put out than uh, Rico. I agree um, about it. They're probably being bigger fires to put out than Rico. And um, I think we're moving from a period where your bench was incredibly important. And I think people are sensitised to looking at their first and second bencher and thinking, there's a good chance this guy's going to come on. or oh, Those guys are going to come on. The reality in the regular season is that that doesn't really happen very much. I think that you you kind of... I don't know what the frequency of using your first bench would be probably something about a third of the time at most and reality is that Rico and Kelly although they're players that in an ideal world you want to replace with Holgate and I don't know someone like uh, maybe Charlie Taylor or Kiko or Kafka or something like that they are players who can going to do a job for you which is they're going to come off the bench um, okay and Rico himself minus one I luckily avoided that minus one this week as the Lord John Lunsaran played but I mean they've got a really good run of fixtures but Bournemouth coming up Watford Norwich Brighton and Aston Villa three out a four at home you've got to be thinking that Honest Eddie's going to get a word through to them and get them going again, right like I can't see Allardyce or something moving to Sandbanks and they're getting them set up maybe they'll get um, Harry Redknapp in or something like that to help them out but like at the moment it's, it's just one of those things that if you've got nothing better to do then maybe and you've got two free transfers you've got a great first 11 and you're kind of thinking oh I don't know I've got a, a bit of money to spend then maybe I'd be looking at getting whole game for Rico or something like that but I mean, really? Is that kind of if that, if that's the biggest fire in your team? Then I'm uh, pretty jealous of your team, I suppose.
0: Yeah, maybe speaking about Eddie Howe and Bournemouth for a second, I, I don't see him getting sacked. Like they've been ravaged by injuries, and I think oh, absolutely that, not. Yeah, and they've also had patches of poor form in every other season, perhaps never as long as this, which Howe has found a way to overcome in previous years. I think I saw that this is the first time in two years that they're in the relegation zone. So this is the most. Dangerous situation they have found themselves in in recent memory, so we shall see. I, I think personally, a bit like you guys, Rico is. If you're trying to move on, Rico, that's a pretty minor problem that you have in your team. He's second or third on your bench, father most of the time, and there's bigger problems to solve with the double game week to come.
2: So, so our final question is: it's one for you, actually, Tom, and uh, oh, yeah. it, it's from Mars, and he used to asked you: um, Are you really going to be off Twitter? Um, so. I'm sure um, you've got an answer that Sarah will want you to hear and perhaps a real answer. I don't know.
1: <laughs> no, I've got a real answer, which is that two and a half years, 32,000 followers, more than 150 tweets a day is the average. I think that um, I'm finally Twittered out now. I think I've had enough. Like, I See things happening over the course of the weekend, and it, it, it doesn't—it doesn't like you know, really affect me, but it does annoy me. Like I can feel myself getting a little bit, kind of like, oh, it's all just a cycle. I saw this last week, I saw this the week before, and you can tell you're getting fatigued with something, can't you? And I think, much I love Twitter and love the community. It's really kept me going for a long while. and I think there's there's time for me to take a little bit of a break, uh, have a couple of months off. I'm sure it won't explode without me. Um, so yeah, um, I, I'll definitely be off Twitter. I'll, I'll remove it unless I'm, you know given a bat signal and i really need to get back for some sort of wdta emergency but i hugely doubt it the reality is that probably best for me to to have a little break as as it always is it's a good idea to have a little break if you're if you're bored of it or you've had too much of it but yeah it's been two and a half great years but i'm finally gonna um uh, delete the app uh, on the 7th or the 8th of january when i set off and uh, that'll be it for a couple of months i'll keep up keep up to date with you guys of course but yeah in terms of the wider uh, scheme of things <laughs> i don't think i'm going to be tweeting
2: And we'll still be posting the uh, the pods on the Twitter as well. So it won't be completely dead. Um, We've
0: we've moved from a man who's tweeted 78.8 thousand times in two and a half years to me, who's tweeted 12.6 thousand times in three and a half years. So (laughs) you're going to see a dramatic drop, I would imagine, in uh, tweets. But we will be there.
1: Cool. All right, let's move on to the transfers and captains then. So uh, obviously we've got a little while to wait until the next game week and obviously things may change. But as of now, uh 3rd of January, uh, what do you guys reckon you're going to be looking at doing and who's your captain going to be? Uh, Anthony, what do you reckon?
0: It's going to be a complete wipeout in my team. I think the longer I think about it, the more I think I'm going to wildcard. And so that leads to a totally different set of problems, which I'm probably going to have to work out as time goes on. But basically, it's going to boil down to me doing a wild card and then working it out from there. But the obvious captaincy choices are Manchester United playing Norwich. That will be Marcus Rashford. Nothing like another Manchester United disappointment. Or maybe one of the punts that I'd bring in in my wildcard, perhaps, such as one of the Watford players like Ishmael Sar away to Bournemouth or maybe even an Arsenal player at Crystal Palace. Uh, since he's arrived at the club, Nicola Pepe has only scored at stadiums in London and uh, Crystal Palace is definitely in London. So, uh,
2: Yeah, I think for me, uh, I, well, I've got it on Jamie Vardy at the moment. He's been sort of my auto-captain recently recently. Um, even though um, he's not played the last couple of games my advice has um, been the captain that's been Marcus Rashford I might just leave it at that to be honest I might just go for Vardy home to Southampton um, and hope he, he can deliver the business so I think I'm, I'm going for I'm going for Vardy. I think at the moment we'll we'll see if that changes with with Rashford vice. In terms of my transfers, I alluded to it a little bit. There's there's a sort of a few things going on. I might do the goalkeeper swap. But I possibly will with Gazaniga down to over to Fabianski. Maybe this game week, or I might also include a minus four as part of that and uh, do Ali and Rashford out for for Salah and Dominic Calvert Lewin, and that would probably be on the minus four with the goalkeeper move. But I might save that move for another game week maybe because I, I, I'm not in a rush to bring in Salah and I'd probably want Rashford for that Norwich game I don't feel like I'm in a rush to take a hit or anything like that
1: yeah well I'm definitely taking a hit off my minus 12 I'm definitely gonna be leaving it hopefully. If there's an injury, I may have to move it, but hopefully there won't be one. Um, And I'm going to be uh, captaining Vardy. I've got the vice on De Bruyne, um, just because I'm in Aston Villa. um, Hopefully, maybe, uh, will uh, elicit some returns for him, but he's in the deep-lying role at the moment. It wasn't a deep-lying role in the last game, so maybe I'll move the vice to Salah or something against Spurs, but um, yeah, it's captain Vardy for me. And uh, as I mentioned at the top, my team is now mostly ghost. Um, I've got Fabianski and Goal, a back three of TAA, Soyuncu and Lindström, uh, Mane and Salah um, complete the, the Liverpool triple up. Uh, De Bruyne and Traore um, complete midfield and up front I've got uh, Vardy, Rashford and Mopay. Uh, Mopay is owned by 2.2%, uh, decent numbers, decent fixtures coming so I thought I'd just stick him in and hope for the best really. Um, But I think that and the bench of Rico, Kelly and Dendonka will probably see see me right really all the way until kind of game of 24, 25 so if I, if I don't look at FPL um, really I, I should be fairly well set and who knows probably will do better um through not managing my team than actually managing it uh, maybe it'll be all hell uh, uh, under management uh, but yeah that, that's uh, kind of how I'm set up how I'll be um, uh, let's see if Vardy actually plays this time <laughs> cool so that's your lot uh, just so we are who got the you can find us on twitter at wca underscore fpl nick at wca underscore nick and stag at fpl stag listen and subscribe across the podding spectrum
2: yep and our league code is eikx03 if you want to join the league and there's a theme to every week
1: last week it was you too Yep, uh, stag and nick will be back in a couple of weeks uh, after the next game week i will be back in game week 28 ish to talk doubles with ben Quillen. Uh enjoy the time away enjoy the time with these two uh, in the meantime i hope this is you and um, i'll speak to you very very soon goodbye goodbye bye Oh, it's a goal. Who got the assist? Who got the assist?
0: Where am I moving with this conversation? I'll just segue. <laughs> Not local. <noble. laughs> Very normal. Yeah. yeah.
2: Top score
1: in 2020. <laughs> there you go. Much less sort little of bittery-like.
2: Sports Social Podcast Network.